Thank you for listening to audio from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church or our Sunday services, please visit gccugene.org. All right, John 15, main point today is called to abide in the love of Christ. That's what I hope that we would walk away with remembering this morning is that you are called to abide in the love of Christ. The best way that I could explain this or think about this is through uh, an analogy of an airplane. And so on an airplane, you are not in control of the aircraft. You are just a passenger on the aircraft. And so there's, there's, there's nothing that you can do to make the aircraft land. There's nothing that you can do in a sense of control. In a lot of ways, you might even be going to a destination, and if they want to change that because they're low on fuel or weather or something else, they can change your destination. So you're, you, you are out of control, and you are placing your faith, your trust, inside of this aircraft that holds you, that is carrying you from one point to the next point. I used to have this 86 Toyota 4Runner. That was my high school vehicle, and I thought it was awesome. But one thing it was not awesome at is climbing hills. And uh, the time we realized this is, this is pre-Jesus, just to clarify. The, the time we realized this is when we did something illegal, and, uh, and this man was chasing us, and he caught up to us in his minivan. And so, uh, and so we, I remember looking back and, and, uh, in my rearview mirror, and I could see this, this man so angry, and, and, and again, not, not proud of this moment pre-Jesus. Uh, his, wind, his windshield was shattered, and that was on us. And so, uh, but he's telling us to, yeah, no, no one's laughing now. Uh, and, and he's telling us to pull over. And my buddy in that moment goes, hey, <laughs> we finally got away, so we thought he got our license plates. But my buddy goes, man, I thought your vehicle was faster than this. And I was like, no. No, it's, it's not. And in fact, what we would do when we got to hills is we would rock because we were convinced that rocking would help us to get up hills faster. Though I don't think it did a thing. Imagine how, how crazy you would look if you sat on the airplane panicking and just started going like this. People would think that you were crazy because there is nothing that you are doing to contribute to get this aircraft off the ground by doing that, right? You are, in, you are in complete control of the captain, of the pilot and the co-pilot. They are running this thing, they are flying this thing, they are in charge of it. You are a passenger on this airplane. There are things you can do. You can work on the airplane, you can sleep on the airplane, you can rest, you can get up and walk around on the airplane. There are rules you have to abide by on the airplane, but the reality is, is that you are not in control of this aircraft. You can abide in this aircraft, which means to dwell there, to stay there, to remain there as it takes you from one destination to the other, but you cannot control the outcome of where that aircraft is going or how it's going to get there. And in a lot of ways, the way we read John 15 and what Christ is talking about here is to abide and to remain and dwell and stay in the love of Christ. Let's look at the first verse here, verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. This is, this is one of those verses that should, should just stop us in our tracks. It should bring us to a halt. If you were reading this section, let's just start a couple verses before this because this is, this is what happened to me. This is, this is what I've been meditating on, reflect, uh, reflecting on this week. This is what I've been working through for my devotional this week is this passage. But I remember when I first read it, it was like this. Start back with me at verse 6 and I'm going to read fast. 
If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. And if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you and, and then I, I stopped. And it's, this is one of those verses where we go, did he just say what I think that he said? And it's one of those verses that you should go back and read again because if you go back and read it again, let's read it. As the Father has loved me, this is Christ talking, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. In the exact way God the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. He does not say similar to how the Father loves me, I love you. He does not say kind of like God loves me, I love you. He says as the Father loves me, so I love you. Think about that. What is the word that's used for love here? It's agapaho. And some people know it as agape. It, it, it's, it's agape love. Here's the definition for what this sort of love is that Christ is talking about. The same love that God loves him with is this agapaho type of love. Here's the definition. Number one. Agape is called out of one's heart by the preciousness of the object love. It is a love of esteem, of evaluation. It has the idea of prizing. It is the noblest word for love in the Greek language. Agape is not kindled by the merit or worth of its object, but it originates in its own God-given nature. God is love. Three, it delights in giving. Four, the love keeps on loving even when the loved one is unresponsive. That's this kind of love. Five, agape desires only the good of the one love. It is a consuming passion for the well-being of others. And so when we look at verse nine and it says, as the father has loved me, that word agape there has loved me, so have I. He doesn't change up the Greek word. It doesn't switch to a phileo type of love, like a brotherly sort of love, a less than sort of love. He says, as the Father has loved me with this agape sort of love, this unconditional love that, that you don't earn and don't merit, I have loved you with that same type of unconditional, unmerited favor and love, not a different type of love, the same love. What kind of love does God have for his son? How much does, 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 does God the Father love God the Son? Look at what Spurgeon says. Beloved, in Spurgeon's big, bold flavor, you do not, dare not, could not doubt the love of the Father to his Son. It is one of these unquestionable truths about which you never dreamed of holding an argument. Our Lord would have us place his love to us in the same category with the Father's love to himself. Look what he says here. We are to be as confident of the one as of the other. And the amount of confidence you have in how much God the Father loves God the Son, what Spurgeon is saying, we are called to place that sort of same confidence in how much Christ loves us. Why? Because Christ said it. We also have to see that, 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 there's, that this is not a love that's earned. This is not a love that's merited. In fact, if you go up and read in verse 3, it's a love that's declared over you. He says in verse three, I, I love this verse, already you are clean, already you are clean. Child of God, hear that this morning. If you are a child of God, you are clean. And, and look, it's not because of something you've done. How is it? In verse three, it says, it's because of the word that I've spoken to you. You are clean because I've declared you clean. You are loved because I've declared you loved. And so when we understand love here, we have to start with love as an identity. 
Love is not something we are earning. We don't go to God and enter his presence to be loved. We go to God and enter his presence because we are loved. Loved is who we are. Loved is an identity that we've been given in Christ. We are loved. We are beloved. We are the beloved of Christ as Christ is the beloved of God the Father. And that's how this starts off. It's this verse that should stop us, like I said, in our tracks. I think it's important to know this, that oftentimes when we preach, we use a, a kind of a model that looks like law and gospel. And so what we do is, is we'll oftentimes look at what God commands and say, this is what God has commanded, is a good God. And then we'll go, we have not met those commands. We have not fulfilled those commands. And so we look at how Christ has fulfilled those commands. We see this in Romans 7. Paul talks about how sinful he is. And then he goes, oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me? Who will deliver me? And then he says, but thanks be to God. It's the same here. We don't start here with something we do to earn love. What we start with is this, is love is an identity that's given. We are loved. That's where we start. We don't start with something that we do. We don't start with our behavior. We don't start with something that we earn. We start with this, that as the Father has loved God the Son, so has the Son loved us. I would encourage you to do this. Even as I typed this out for my sermon, verse nine, I would encourage you to write it in your journals this week. Write this verse out. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. You can insert your name in there too. Rick, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. And I would meditate on that. I would reflect on that. I, I believe it is one of those verses that we should just hone in on and sit there. I've sat in it this entire week. We have to see and understand this too. This is not a love to earn. It is a love that's freely given. And when something is freely given, then it removes pride because it removes your ability to boast in your earning it. So if we could earn this sort of love, then we could take pride in that. We could boast in that. That's not the case here. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. It's freely given, which removes our ability to brag about it. It's a gift, and it's given. Let's talk about this before we move on from this verse. What kind of love does God love Jesus with so we can understand the kind of love that Christ has for us? God's love for Jesus has no measure. It is infinite, it is limitless. It, it is not confined by time or by space like we understand. It has existed for all eternity. We, our problem is, is that we are confined by our finite minds to try to describe a limitless God without measure and his love without measure. And so we sing songs like the David Crowder song, if his love is an ocean, we're all sinking. The problem with that is, 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 is you can measure the depths of the ocean. You can measure the vastness of the ocean. So we're using human language to try to convey an infinite, limitless God and his love. We, 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 we are left with this language to try to do that. The reality is, is that you cannot explain. And, and with the fullness of our minds, we can't even wrap our minds around the measure and the vastness and the love of God that he has for Jesus Christ. It is without measure. It is without limits. There's no song that could accurately define it. We can do our best, but the reality is it's too massive for us to get our minds wrapped around. So Jesus asks, or goes on in, in the latter part of the verse to say this. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Abide in my love. Why would Christ need to say abide in my love? Because we are people whose hearts are prone to wander. 
Our hearts are constantly prone to wander after everything else to, to abide in and to find love and, uh, love and worth and meaning and significance in. So he says, abide in my love. Why? Because all the way back to the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were prone to wander and ask this question, what am I missing? What am I missing? What greater love is there for me that, that I'm not getting in God the Father? And so our, our hearts have this proclivity to constantly wonder and ask what exactly it is that God is holding out on us. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, abide in your spouse. It does not say, abide in your children. It does not say, abide in a career. It does not say, abide in success, abide in education, abide in a degree. It does not tell you to abide in something that is fickle, that is fleeting, that comes and goes, that is like an emotion. Christ says, abide in my love. And the reality is, is that we, when we get in, in, in difficult seasons and circumstances of our lives, what happens for many people oftentimes is they'll run back to church because they're needing Jesus to fix something that's wrong with their lives. Whatever they've been ab- abiding in is now gone or it's being removed, or, or, or something is coming against it. And I would say this, that sometimes and oftentimes, the removal of things in your life, the absence of things in your life, are the only times that you can actually really start to grasp and understand, appreciate, and treasure all that Christ's love is. And it's only when these things are removed oftentimes that Christ's love becomes your everything and you see that it has the ability to satisfy the deepest longings and desires of your heart and soul. Though it's painful to have things removed, when things are removed, happiness, joy, whatever those things are, it's in these times that we realize that only Christ can actually satisfy us and his love can satisfy us. Do you know that it's only the love of Christ and abiding in his love that can deal with our approval issues, which we have? because it's in him and in his love that we have the approval that we need. It's only in Christ that our control issues are dealt with because you don't get to control the love of Christ. You can control many things in your life, but as as you cannot control the aircraft, you cannot control the love of Christ. It is a gift that's freely given. So you can manipulate people, control people to have a certain outcome. You cannot manipulate and control Christ to love you. He gives that gift freely. And it deals with our comfort, why? Because the greatest comfort we need is is not in in, in a perfect life, a perfect marriage, a perfect outcome, a perfect situation. The perfect love that we need and the perfect comfort that we need is, is in the love of Christ and he's calling us to abide there. If you're here this morning, I'd say it's because Christ is telling you and calling you and displaying in his word to abide in my love, to come back to my love. It's only my love that is going to satisfy you. We go through painful seasons. We go through dark times in our lives. And I would say that it's only the security and the comfort of the love of God and abiding in it that can sustain us, that gives us worth, that gives us meaning. Not something earned, something given. Verse 9, again, as as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Stop running after that man. Stop running after the woman. Stop running after that thing that's not going to satisfy you. Saying, abide in me and my love and what I have. Which would beg a good question for you. How many other things are you trying to abide in that aren't doing it? Verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love as I, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and I abide in his love. 
We love, 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 love as Christians, I do, to talk about the love of Christ. But then you, you, you throw in commands and you throw in obedience. And if you were raised in any sort of way around uh, 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 commands or uh, uh, I- I- around any sort of abusive situation, then, then anytime commands get thrown in, then you start to push back because they, the, the inner uh, authority in you pushes back against authority because you've seen it abused. I, I have this and I've seen this and I've witnessed this in, in my life, but let's remember this. The same person who said verse nine, just as I just as the fathers loved me, I have loved you as the same exact person who also said verse 10. So let's remember that. Jesus says, abide in my love, but then he says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Notice what he does not say. If you keep my commandments, you will earn my love. If you keep my commandments, you will gain my love. He does not say that. He does not say, if you keep the commandments as I have kept them, the Father will love you just as he's loved me. We live in a society that has a lot of language like this. Hey, you did a really good job today, but. Hey, I I really like the way you're doing this, but. And so what happens is we talk about the love of Christ. People say, well, is this where the but comes? I would say, no, this is not where it comes. I would say, this is what happens. As we talk about the love of Christ, and then we talk about the commands of Christ, it is a sense. And here's what I meant. This is not a but. It is now a, since Christ loves you this much, here is how you respond to this sort of love. Since this is a sort of love that Christ has for you that you can't change, it's without measure or without limit, this is how you respond to this love, in obedience. Tim Keller once said, what happens when you preach grace? Some people will hear grace and go, ah, I can do whatever I want. And, and to that, he said, to those people, they do not understand what grace or what love is. Because people who have actually understood the magnitude of Christ's love don't view and see that sort of love and go, now I can do whatever I want. So, and so people that know that they're loved, people who understand the love of Christ, people who have experienced this sort of love are people that obey the commands of Christ. It's a testament to your understanding of love. Please know and understand this. That on, an, that on an airplane, there's rules. Like don't smoke. Like don't freak out, panic, and try to open doors. Don't try to go through the cockpit. Don't do these things. Do we look at those rules and go, man, talk about a killjoy. This sucks. If I could run through the cockpit, open up doors, and just do whatever I wanted, this would be way, way more fun. We look at those and go, those are good rules. Those are good parameters to have. Those are good commands given. And when we look at this, we have to understand that yes, we've seen authority abused in our lives. This is, these commands are coming from a good God who is a loving God. And when he gives good commands, they are good, right? I've used this example before, but, but when God says don't get drunk, I've yet to meet a person hanging over the side of a toilet bowl who says, me one, God zero. Really showed him. I got God on this one. When he gives commands like this, we go, man, maybe he knows what he's doing because he is God. And so when God lays out the commands that he gives, we can either look at those and go, no thanks, or we can understand that, that he's a good God who loves us and who's given us these commands 
Because actually through these commands and through obeying them, we actually get to experience the richness and the fullness and the treasure of the love and the relationship that we have with him. Do you know what we do though? Is we're out in the desert, in a sense putting drops of water on our tongue through everything else in life that we're trying to enjoy when Christ is sitting right here going, I'm the well. I'm, I'm an endless well. And my love is the one thing that can satisfy you. No one fills up on peanuts on the airplane. You need a meal. And what we need is Christ, and we need his love and to abide in it. And then what we need to do as a response to that is we need to obey the commands that he's given us because they are meant to give us fullness of life. They are meant to protect us. Yesterday, this happened in our house. Our kids are standing on the window seals. And I'm like, get off the window seals. Why? Because I have the ability to see the disaster that's coming, right? Like this is not going to work out. There's a table, you're gonna go through the table and it's just gonna end poorly. And last night, our youngest, those of you guys that know her, she doesn't like rules, and so she's by the road. And we're like, get away from the road. And she doesn't wanna get away from the road. Am, am I trying to kill my daughter's joy? My wife said when we were sitting in the vehicle last night and we were trying to talk to them, she's like, we're not saying these things to make your guys' lives miserable. And that's the reality is God hasn't laid out his commands to make our lives miserable as it goes on, as we go on to see in the next verse. He's actually given these commands that are good because through obeying them, we experience the richness of his love and we experience more joy through them. You know that my daughters disobeying me doesn't affect the relational status. They're still my daughters. But what it can do is it can start to affect the relationship. In, in, in the same way as, it, as if my wife continues to show love toward me and I do things that hurt her, we are still in this covenant marriage, but it's going to affect our relationship. When we just choose to flat out rebel and sin against what God has commanded, then what it's doing is, is it's affecting our relationship with him because what we're doing is we're abiding in something that cannot fulfill us. And he's saying, look, I got, I got it. <laughs> like abide in me, abide in my love, and, 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 and I can satisfy you. And we're saying, no, nah, we'll try something else. And John says, says this in 1511. Again, quoting Christ, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. I'll say this. I believe that the source of true joy is Jesus Christ and the one thing that separates us from experiencing that joy is our sin. So this love is made accessible to you. This love is made available to you. The one thing that, 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 that prevents it is our sin. And so what we need is we need the love of the Father and a relationship reconciled to God the Father. And only in Christ do we have that. And I would say this, to just emphasize what, what uh, or to, to reiterate what Christ is saying, is that I don't believe that in, in this life that you will experience the fullness of joy. Again, this isn't my words, this is God's word. That I don't believe that you will experience the fullness of joy until your fullness of joy is found in Christ and in his love. That might be hard for a non-Christian to hear. You would say, I'm joyful, and, I, and, and I'm not doubting, and I'm not saying that you're not. I'm just saying that I believe the fullness of joy is found in the one that created your soul. So what does abiding in Christ's love mean, or what does it look like? I would say it's this. We'll wrap up here. Abiding in the love of Christ means abiding in the cross of Christ only. What do I mean by that? that? That if to abide in Christ's love means to abide in the cross. And so if you are here this morning feeling dirty, feeling shameful, feeling guilty, 
then I would take you back to this, that as a Christian, what you are called to do is abide in Christ's love. And that means abiding in the cross of Christ, which means this, that at the love, if you wanna know what the love of Christ looks like, then you look to the cross of Christ, and there you see the love of Christ. If you ever question, does, does, does God love me? You look at the cross and go, my goodness, that's how much. If you ever question, does Christ love me? You, you go to the cross and go, that's how much. And as Christians, we don't abide in our works. We don't abide in our performance. We don't provi- uh, 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 abide in our efforts. As Christians, what we do is we abide in the cross because what the cross does is the cross says, I have done enough. I have paid enough. I have suffered enough. I've taken the wrath enough. Abiding in the love of Christ means abiding in the cross and that the cross was sufficient to do everything that needed to to be done for you to be loved by God the Father through Jesus Christ. So here's what I would say. This love of Christ is a love that holds you. It's, it's, It's not this. It's not you holding on to Christ. It's Christ holding on to you. And in the same way you don't control where the aircraft lands, I would say this, is that if you are a child of God, he's holding you and he'll never let you go regardless of what the season of your life tells you. The people that freak out on the aircraft or the people that have trust, they still get to the same exact location. It's not the measure of your faith, it's the object of it in Jesus Christ. And I would say that his love will carry you from this life on into the next. We can abide in it and we can trust in it. All God's people said, let's pray. Lord, I confess that my heart is prone to wander and I see commands and stipulations for love. I don't see commands coming from a good God who wants the best for me. And so I pray that you would reshape the way that my mind is twisted. And instead of me thinking that I have it right, Father, I pray and trust that I would know that your rules and commands do have it right and they are not meant to rob me or rob us of joy, but instead to give us more joy in this life. Jesus, thank you that we can abide in your love and abide in the cross.